Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Monday, February 21st, and this is a very special edition, episode 225 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, as we finally have head football coach Brent Pry on set today. We get to have to get right into it, only have 30 minutes with the head man, so episode 225 of the Tech Sideline Podcast starts right now. Welcome back into episode 225 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lyman. To my left, Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist of sideline.com. To my right in the fourth chair today, managing editor David Cunningham. Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes doing a great job as our podcast producer. And of course, across the way, head football coach Brent Pry. Finally, uh, I'm sure a couple crazy months after getting the job, hiring your staff, starting to recruit, but glad we finally got you on, and thanks for taking the time today, Coach. No, I appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's good to be here. I know what you guys do for our program and our athletic department, and uh, so we've been wanting to do this. We've just been pulling a lot of directions, uh, but uh, glad to be here. Well, we've only got 30 minutes with you, Coach, so we'll get right into it. We're going to go a little bit round-robin here. I'll start, then Chris will ask a question, and then David has some from uh, our members on the message board. So uh, without further ado, let's jump right in. Uh, you've obviously we talked about your staff and recruiting, but I want to look at the team you've already got. How is the evaluation process and kind of the relation, relationship building gone with the guys you've already got on your team? Good question, um, and really probably one of the more important ones. Um, it's been challenging when you when you take over a, a head job at a new place. A majority of the staff is new. You're pulled in a thousand directions um, between recruiting, transfer portal, hiring your staff, and really you want to give the attention to the current team. They're the ones that need it. You know, they, they had a coaching change before the season was out and been going through a lot. And uh, so you want to be there for them, but there's just uh, – there's so many things to do. So it's challenging that way to get your eyes on them, to start to understand them as individuals. What are these guys like? Are they mature? Are they not mature? Um, mentally tough. And then skill set, obviously. Um, had a chance to watch quite a few bowl practices. Uh, bowl practices, which was good, and then uh, evaluated a ton of film. And uh, right now we're in our winter program, so we have morning workouts with these guys where we get to kind of dive in and, and see what they're really made of. So it's still an ongoing process, the evaluation piece. Um, but good kids, working hard right now, excited about the change. Uh, a lot of them are reaching out and scheduling meetings, and you know I'm running through that weight room as often as I can, and so, um, you know, right now, that relationship with those guys, that's at the top of the list. 
football teams are only as good as their quarterbacks generally. What did you see from Grant Wells and Jason Brown to make you decide those are the guys we want to target in the transfer portal? Yeah, I knew a lot about Jason. He was in our camps at Penn State a uh, number of years, was our MVP one summer. And, um, you know, I'd followed his career. He played at St. Francis right up the road from, uh, from State College, so I was able to kind of keep up with him and knew what he was all about as a, as a person. I uh, had a pretty good feel for his skill set and, you know, obviously a guy that uh, played in some big games down in South Carolina. And talked with Shane Beamer at length about Jason and had a lot of conversations with Jason. I felt good about him coming in and being at least, uh, you know, a strong candidate to lead this football team. He's He's got great leadership qualities. He's a big old good-looking rascal. He's 230 pounds and, you know, he's uh, he's got a ton of maturity. You know, he sees this as, as his, his year to get it done and make it happen for himself. So this was his dream school, you know, coming out of high school. So this is – a very meaningful event for him, and uh, he's super determined, which I love. And Grant Wells, you know, everybody I talked to in that conference, buddies I had that were either D coordinators or head coaches in that league, had nothing but great things to say about Grant in the in-person live performance. Go back and look at his high school film. He's got good wheels. You know, he, to me, he can do things with his feet that uh, maybe they didn't maximize at Marshall. And then, of course, my relationship with Charles Huff, uh, endorsing the young man as well. So we're, uh, we feel very fortunate to have those two guys join the program. Chris asked you about the transfer portal. Um, to go more in depth, this is an interesting question. If you were in charge of the transfer portal, what changes would you make? That's from Hokie N. Lot 11. We got to get some deadlines on this thing. <laughs> you know, we, we have to have a, a, a calendar that makes sense uh, 365. You know, and it has to be tied into the signing periods. What I want to be able to do is recruit my high school signing class just like we always have. Go sign 25 guys out of high school. And, and then as the portal develops and as things happen over the course of a year, if you lose one, you need to be able to replace them at that time, um, at that cycle. If it's after spring ball, if it's after the season, you know, there's going to be another wave, another wave of guys after the spring. And so you need to be able to go out and sign guys at that time, you know, to, to make up for that. So I think they got to look at the big picture. Uh, but definitely some calendar deadlines where we know when guys can enter, when they can't. Give us a chance to, to manage our roster and, and be as close to 85 as we can. I'm all for these guys getting an opportunity if, if it's not working out where they're at. I hope that we recruit the right guys to Virginia Tech, that, uh, that we have fewer of those conversations, you know, and, and we'll have some, but, you know, I want, I want guys that want to be here and be here for the right reasons. So um, I just think we need a little bit more definitive guidelines when it comes to the portal right now. And you talked about the quarterbacks. Obviously, you're a defensive guy, but a lot of people want to know what is the offense going to look like? What would be your ideal Virginia Tech offense? A little power run, spread, RPO? What, what are you looking for from that side of the ball? Yeah, honestly, Coach Bone and I have had multiple conversations about uh, things that challenged us defensively, not just at Penn State, but over my career, things that were problematic that I'd like to see as part of our offense at least the ones that fit what, what Tyler wants to do. You know, we're, uh, we're going to be multiple. 
You know, I think that's that's one thing that's important to me is that we're not just one-dimensional offensively. Do we want to be aggressive and physical and establish the run? Yeah, uh, but that doesn't mean that's you know that's who we're going to be. I think uh, the ability to present different personnel groups, uh, have your best players in different places, uh, the ability for your quarterback to run the football. You know, uh, I'm a big believer in motions and unique alignments to to present problems. Uh, I just know what gives us, you know, as defensive coaches, headaches. And um, but at the same time, I want to make sure we're doing what our guys can do well and maximizing their abilities, their strengths. So to me, a, you know, that's the sign of a great coach when you can minimize weaknesses and maximize strengths, and that changes each year. So I want the ability to be multiple and and be problematic. I do not want defenses dictating to us. I want us to dictate to them. Sticking to the offensive side of the ball, you got a lot of bodies in the running back room this spring. Uh, do you prefer, is it more ideal to have a two-back rotation, three-back rotation, uh, and how quickly does something like that get narrowed down? Yeah, I don't really, I don't have a preference. I think it's about uh, what you have in the room. Mm -hmm. you know, I believe that at any position. If there's two backs that deserve to play and can help us win, we'll play two backs. If there's three, we'll play three. If there's only one, uh, we're playing him as much as we can. Um, there might be a lot of empty sets in, you know, when he needs a blow. But I, I'm a big believer that at every position. Um, for years, I've told the linebackers, if, if there's six of you that are ready, six of you will play. If there's only five, five will play. You know, if there's four, four will play. If there's only three we can win with, then you other guys are going to play only when necessary. So, um, you know, it gives everybody an opportunity to earn playing time and have a significant role or a role. This this question's from Desert Hokey. Might put you on the spot a little bit, but um, obviously the number 25 jersey is a big tradition. Have you made any decisions about keeping it or, or not? Absolutely. We're going We're going to continue with that tradition. I love it. It was it wasn't part of what we were doing when I was here the first go round, and uh, I'm excited about it. I think we'll use it the same way. Um, right now, that's what it's looking like. But uh, if we tweak it a little bit, it's still going to be a significant thing weekly uh, within our program. And traditions like that can help you build the culture of this program. A lot of talk about talent and scheme, but the culture is obviously very important to this program. What do you want Virginia Tech football to be known for uh, during your time in Blacksburg? Yeah, I tell you what, I, I want us to do things the right way. I really mean that. That's playing the game. That's representing this team on this campus. When you say, what do I want us to be known for? You know, that, that comes first. I mean, I want a mature group that people are proud of that my coaches are proud of, that this fan base is proud of. When they meet them out in the restaurants or they come across them on campus or they see them on game day, you know, I want this to be a group that people feel really good about. Uh, secondly, I want them to know and feel like this bunch will compete their tails off to the very end. Doesn't matter what the situation, who the opponent is, if there's injuries, if there's penalties, if there's that we are going to fight and battle. Um, and then thirdly, a, a group that's tough, mentally and physically tough. That doesn't mean we're lining up in, you know, 22 personnel to prove our toughness. But we're going to have a mentally and physically tough football team. You know, I, I just believe there's a certain way you got to approach this game at this level to be successful. And, and the group that's more mature, 
and, and has the, the investment and approaches this thing the right way at a high level each and every day, that's the group that uh, can win the most games. So those are the things I want this team to be about. Have you decided which linebackers are going to be playing which three linebacker no. positions? Is that something that's going to get sorted out throughout the course yep. of the spring and you're going to like, – Winter and spring. Mm -hmm. This winter piece I've tried to explain to the guys, it's a big evaluation piece. This isn't just about pushing you guys and working your tails off, you know, in a bunch of circuit training and things like that. This is you – know, we're evaluating you, each and every performance. Um, you know, because, I, again, I think it's our job as coaches to put guys in the right position where we can minimize weaknesses and maximize strengths. That's a big piece of being a successful coach. And now that may mean that you've got a safety on this roster right now that maybe was a starter that needs to be a linebacker. That may mean there's a starting linebacker that needs to be a defensive end. Um, there may be a wide receiver on this roster that needs to move over and help us in the secondary. Um, it's our job. If these guys will work hard, it's, which they are, it's our job to put them in the best position to reach all of their potential and then some. If we can get the majority of our roster to reach their potential, we're going to have a daggone good football team. You know, but when you got guys that are coming up short for whether it's, 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 it's they're not at the right position or they're not working hard enough or we're not having the right conversations with them, um, you know, we got to get the growth and development out of these guys. You, you touched on this a little bit with the culture. Hokie High asks, what characteristics define a great football program and what do they have uh, that other programs do not? Yeah, I think I've kind of touched on that. That's who I want this team to be, you know, that competitive drive. I, I love guys that are just super determined, that it doesn't matter what's in front of them. They believe and they're willing to work to make it happen for themselves. That's what I want this team to be about. Um, you know, and there's guys already that I've recognized it in them. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny, they come out of this transition period and there's a clean slate for a lot of them. And they've got this rejuvenation and this kind of way about them that I'm going to prove to these new coaches that, that, that I can do this. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm excited about that piece of it. I think we've got a determined group and they're excited. Uh, and as I mentioned, you know, we got, we got to compete like crazy in everything we do. The most competitive environment in college football. You know, and I'd say that for any place I was coaching. That's, that's what you want for your football team. Um, and, and I think when you were hired, something that was made pretty large by the fan base was your over your career, how well you've recruited the Commonwealth of Virginia. And you're doing that for Penn State. Now Penn State, probably one of the bigger in-state rivals for recruits. How do you plan on recruiting against your former school to keep some of the high-caliber talent in the state? Again, just by showcasing what Tech's all about. I mean, to me, you don't need to leave the state to get what you want from your football college experience. I've been at Penn State, and I know what Tech's about. There's similarities, but there's also significant differences. I love the family atmosphere. I love how friendly Blacksburg is. I love the passion in that stadium. Um, I love the brand of great defense. I mean, there's just so many things to me that – so many reasons for young men to come to Tech and, and have this football experience. Um, you know, there was just too many – too many recruitment – scenarios where Virginia Tech wasn't in the conversation, you know, on Virginia kids. And, uh, and we got to flip that around. We got to get in the conversations with the best players in the state, and then we got to win some of those battles. 
You know, there's already, we're behind, you know, in this next class. There's so many relationships that these kids have in that 23 class with programs outside the state. And, uh, you know, commitments that were made previously. Um, so we got some work to do, but we're committed to doing it, and we got a good plan for it. It starts with the coaches. You know, it's clinics, it's camps, it's getting these guys on campus. We had the largest junior day, you know, that I've ever been around uh, recently. And plenty of ninth and 10th graders in that group, you know, they're getting their first taste of what this is going to look like under Brent Pry and this staff. So, uh, you know, we're making a push and we're doing some things, but it's not a short-term fix. And that's what I told these coaches. It's give us a chance. You'll see, you know, little by little, you know, we're going to make our way in this thing. And you know, I don't want to look at that top 10 list in the state and, and see a bunch of other schools. It's, there's always going to be one or two that peek in there, but, but we got we got to flip this roster around and we got to get more guys out of, out of this state. And then if they're not in the state, they're in our footprint. Um, but to me, that's, you know, it goes back to how do you know about the ninth and 10th graders and even the eighth graders if you're not living in any schools? If you're, not, if you're not sitting down having a cup of coffee with this coach and spending the time and asking those questions in the spring and it potentially in the fall as well, um, to learn about the young guys and to get them on campus and to watch them work out uh, where you're already a presence with them and they're in the ninth grade. You know, that's what we were able to do at Penn State. Um, you know, spent a lot of time down that 95 corridor on a bunch of guys and uh, built a bunch of relationships. So, you know, it's just, uh, you know, you spend eight years selling Penn State, and now, you know, I'm not one of those guys that's going to knock Penn State. I'm not going to do that. It's about what we have to offer these guys and the opportunity to look within your own state and stay home. You don't need to go north of the border, and you don't need to go south of the border. Everything you want, potentially, if tech's right for you, is right here. Yep. So, what have you seen from a player leadership standpoint? It's obviously very important in any coaching transition to have upperclassmen buy in. Um, who has stood out to you so far from a leadership standpoint in the offseason program? Yeah, I mean, the guy that jumps out first, and I heard about it when I got hired and uh, knew a little bit about what he was made of through the recruiting process, uh, and that's Dax. You know, he's just uh, – you talk about knowing what you're going to get out of somebody every day. His attitude, his approach, uh, one of the best I've been around. And at that position, that's very important. But uh, he takes it uh, – he takes ownership in every piece of this program, not just defensive players, but offensive players as well. Uh, we got a freshman that uh, was struggling a little bit, and Dax personally took it upon himself to, to get with this guy and spend time and mentor and – you know, it doesn't matter if you're in the meeting room, if you're at the walkthrough, the morning workout, in the weight room, you, you're going to – Dax has a presence. Um, you know, so I'm excited about that. Um, I think this winter, this is where your leaders emerge. This is where you really see what guys are made of. This is where they earn respect, show their mettle. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no faking that stuff at 6 a.m. and it's, it's hard as heck, right? And guys respect that. And the guys that can lead when it's hard and it's tough, you know, that's the guys I'm interested in. And we got some good candidates, you know, on both sides of the ball. Uh, a guy I've been impressed with that, that I had multiple meetings with about returning to the team is Silas. And uh, he is looking really, really good right now in all ways, just the way he's working, the way he's carrying himself. Uh, you, I think he's got a renewed 
kind of outlook on things, and he's got some determination that uh, he could do some special things. So, you know, there's some guys like that that I'm anxious to see what happens this winter and spring. I think we've got good candidates besides just Dax. And, uh, you know, these next two phases, winter and spring, I think we'll come out of that with a pretty good pool of guys that can lead this football team. Worldwide Hokie asks, what's the biggest adjustment you've had to make from going from being a coordinator to a head coach? And how do you think you've adjusted? Ooh, it's hard not to be in those defensive meetings every day. I walk by that defensive staff room, I get the shakes like I want to go in there. <laughs> you know, and I got other things I got to do. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a different job. I don't know if I realized that, uh, you know, I've done the same thing for a bunch of years and, you know, you're, you just, your, your task list for the day is, is different. And, uh, you know, you're, there's a lot of ambassador duties that, uh, that I love, you know, and that's part of it. But uh, you feel like you wish there was two of you so you could be in a bunch of places at the same time. But, um, you know, aligning myself with James Franklin and Jeff Munkin and Tommy West and these guys you know, has really helped prepare me um, to do this job. There's things that happen day in and day out that uh, I find myself handling these things, you know, the way I'd, I'd like to because I've been in a situation whether it's firsthand, side-by-side, side, or secondhand, just living through that experience, being a right-hand guy to those guys. And, uh, you know, having thought about, yeah, that's how I'd handle it, or I'd probably do this a little differently if I was in James's shoes. And uh, so these opportunities, these, you know, these situations occur, and there hasn't been many that I go, oh, you know, what do I do here? Uh, but, you know, there's been great support too. I mean, that helps. You know, the administration and Danny White and getting Mike Hazel down here was really big. Uh, to me, that's that's a, that's just like your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator, your head strength coach. Uh, Mike Hazel's position was as important to me. So, but, uh, you know, so it's it's definitely a different, different deal every day. But I still do jump in that defensive room an hour a day right now. So, I get my fix. <laughs> Uh, I want to ask you about the first chance you're really going to be able to get on the field with your team and start to see what those guys can do in your new system and your new program. Spring football coming up just down the road. It feels like it's coming up faster than ever. Uh, what are you hoping to get out of that period and getting out of those practices with your team for the first time? I want us to be efficient. You know, I want us to be organized. I want us to be efficient in what we do and how the practice goes and what we're running. I told these guys I'm not interested in being 200 level until we master 100 level. You know, I don't want to try and put too much in right now. I want to be really good at what we do. And, um, you know, I want to be tough and I want to be hustlers and I want the guys competing. Um, I, I'm telling the team right now our message, our theme is ground up. And that's what I want this to be about. It's the basics, man. No details too small. You know, don't think that, uh, you know, fighting pressure and, 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 and being tough and being determined and, you know, playing with leverage and strike and all these basic things that you're taught in junior high ball. And these things are still important. Uh, you know, reading your keys and getting your eyes in the right place and great knee bend and, you know, all those things. I mean, the fundamentals are really important to me. We will be a fundamentally sound football team in all three phases. 
Do well, we want to start the? I think we let's have some fun here. Uh, we've talked a lot of football. Come but, on, keep uh, them coming, we, guys. We, let's go. No, we, Come we, on, man. We, we want to get. Uh, Where's some, the tough questions? We want to get some fun questions for okay. you. We want right. you to to talk about yourself a little bit. So I know you were here as a grad assistant back in the mid '90s. When you come back, was there any restaurant in Blacksburg that you really wanted to go back to and were excited to eat at again? Well, I'll tell you this, because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But uh, <laughs> but I did die. We, we had a recruiting function at, uh, I think it's called the Maroon Door. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was not here when I was here. But I parked in the church parking lot, which I think it's okay to do that. And I went down to the recruiting dinner, and I thought I was turning into the Maroon Door and I opened the door and walked in, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is PK's, <laughs> which was here when I was here. And I spent many a time in. And uh, mm-hmm. so I was like, holy cow, PK's is still here, you know. And uh, and then the Silvaki shop down on, I'm not sure what that side street is, right off campus. Uh, you know, that place was here, and I've enjoyed going back in there. So there's a couple, farmhouse. Uh, we had recruiting dinners out at the farmhouse when I was here, you know, in the mid-'90s. And. Uh, the cellar, um, you know, so it was good. It's good. The only thing I'll tell you is my favorite place uh, for live music, Coach Foster would tell you, was I think it was co- either called South Main Cafe or yeah, South Main Cafe would have live music, I think, on Wednesday nights. Yep. And uh, I did I didn't check it out to see if that was still happening. And I know it's a – I think it's Cabo Fish Taco or something yeah. now. But uh, – I'm a live music guy, so I'm, I'm looking for the venues right now. Not as many as there used to be as far as doesn't, live music Doesn't goes. appear to be. Yeah. I got some bands from State College ready to come down. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, was there any place uh, that you remember really enjoying from, like, whether it's a restaurant, a bar, whatever, when you were here before, and you got back and you're disappointed to learn, oh, it doesn't exist anymore? South Main Cafe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean uh, – I remember I used to tell Bud, I'd say, Bud, I got all my work done, man. I'm, I'm going to head down to South Main. That was year three. And they'd be like, okay, man, wish we could go. Did the Allman Brothers ever play at South Main Cafe? No, they no. didn't. <laughs> plenty of Allman Brothers cover tunes because <laughs> I was in the one front row requesting them. <laughs> when, when you have a rare chance to relax, and I'm sure it hasn't happened recently, when you have alone time, what do you like to do? Uh, right now, FaceTime my family. You know, it seems like we're doing that a lot. Um, you know, I came in this morning, wrote each one of them a letter uh, just to send it up. And, you know, the transition's tough. I'm trying to be mindful of all the staff that's away from family right now. Coach Glenn had his wife and children in this weekend. You know, you just it's tough. You're busy and you have all these, these things you want to get done, but, you know, you're not going home every evening to your family. And, uh, you know, just uh, – trying to make the best of it and make plans to get them here. So I do that, listen to music. I do my, you know, the guys are embarrassed, but I just do a little band push-up workout in my office uh, that I'm getting a lot of grief about right now. But, uh, you know, that, that's kind of it. You know, I, I'm talking to my brothers, my dad, my mom. I mean, you know, Amy and the kids, uh, light workouts, listen to music. And right now, you know, we're eating out. About every evening, I think dinner starts about 8 p.m. By the time we realize we haven't eaten, and those of us that don't have families here yet, we, we usually grab a bite together. So that's kind of where it's at. All right, last one for you, Coach. I know you got to get out of here, but one of the moments that I think is going to be remembered from your first few months uh, as the head football coach is the annual snowball fight on the drill field. You going out there, getting involved. 
After that, I had these two guys. They picked their all-time Virginia Tech snowball fight team. So I want you to go back through some of the players you've coached. If you could pick two guys to back you up in a snowball fight, who would they be? Whew, man. Mm, mm, mm. Out of anybody? Anybody you've coached. Oh, there has to be somebody I coached. Yes. Mm. Any stop, though? Mm. I tell you what. Brandon Smith from Louisa County, Virginia. <laughs> Five-star linebacker, 6'4", 245. <laughs> Came down here and recruited him to Penn State. This dude, I believe, could throw a heck of a snowball. <laughs> um, but, uh, man, I got to go with a quarterback. You know, I don't know, Sean Clifford. I believe Trace McSorley could probably throw a mean <laughs> snowball. I mean, it'd be accurate as heck, you know. and It'd have the it factor attached to it. He, he can so, evade a little bit, too. Yeah, yeah, he can move and shake <laughs> to make sure he gets the best shot. But uh, I know this, next year, I will have reinforcements out there <laughs> off this football team. And uh, we're going to have a test first to see who can really throw a snowball. And if they can't throw one, they're not making a trip with me. So next year it'll be cadets versus civilians versus football players is what you're saying. Uh, I think, yeah, we, I don't know. I don't know if I want to get in the middle of that. I, we may just kind of partner up, you know, and kind of be neutral. Uh, all right. Well, Coach, we thank you so much for taking some time this morning to come on with us, uh, and, and we hope to have you on again at some point soon. I yeah, appreciate y'all. All right. Well, thank you, Coach. We're going to take a break here on Episode 225 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll jump back on and have a conversation about everything Coach Price said right after this. Stay with us here on Episode 225 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to episode 225 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. What a great conversation we just had with Brent Pry. So thankful for his time coming on for 30 minutes today to talk about the transition and some fun things towards the end. As you can see, if you're on YouTube, I flip-flopped across the way, and now Will Stewart has taken his usual spot uh, across the table from me. Mountain Dew in hand. Diet Mountain Dew in hand. So. <laughs> Still have uh, Chris Coleman and David Coleman or David Cunningham on set. Uh, <laughs> so many names to so remember. So many names to remember. Chris and Coleman's love child, David Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> We've got father and son everywhere uh, today with Malcolm and Will as well. Let's dive into some of the things that Coach Pry brought up in that interview there. I want to start with just continuing the transition. It, it obviously feels like there's still a lot to figure out here as we're into winter workouts and moving towards spring football. Uh, Chris, you asked about the linebacker depth, and, and it just seems like they're still trying to evaluate what they've got on this team. Yeah, and I think that was a perfectly acceptable answer, and honestly, it was really the answer I was looking for. There's absolutely no reason to like, have a depth chart right now. Yeah. Um, I think when you're trying to establish your culture of your program, um, I think you set that initial depth chart based on how hard guys work in the off season, and that's your initial spring depth chart. And I don't know any other way to do it. Like if you're a rising senior and a returning starter, but you don't work as hard as some of the underclassmen, maybe, but yet you're still number one on the depth chart when spring practice starts. What kind of message does that yeah. send to the rest of the team? So it's important that he establishes culture very, very early as soon as he gets here. So I thought that was a great answer, the fact that they don't even have a depth chart right now, uh, and not just for linebacker, but for any position, really. Um, they're, they're continuing to evaluate, continuing to uh, teach their culture about what is expected and everything like that. And I, and I think that's, uh, that's the right way to go about things. I remember back in the Beamer era, 
when the depth chart was posted all the time on beamerball.com. And fans would log in like every August when it was time for that initial depth chart to be released. That they, they, they would and, and log Brandon, in. And Brandon Orr was down at the bottom <laughs> of it. Why, well, is, why is he third string? <laughs> well, 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 that's be, it's it's because the Virginia Tech coaches back then were very good at establishing a culture. You don't do what you're supposed to do in the off season, and you have to work your way back up to the to the starting lineup. And that, that's that's how you build a culture of work ethic and discipline and and things like that. So I really enjoyed that answer. It did not answer my question at all, (laughs) but I thought it was his best answer of the day. So given that we only had him for half an hour, we talked a lot about strategizing. What do we want to get out of this brief conversation? Um, Which which is a shame because I think he was really starting to to warm up and then it was time to go. Yeah. Um, But I know people wanted us to ask about uh, when he got hired and his process of hiring assistants. But I I thought one of the things we wanted to establish here was where are you with your team and your program right now? And that's what some of the questions were geared towards. So the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, you know, we asked him, what do you want to get out of, uh, of spring practice? And he was basically like the basics. Yeah. You know, moving efficiently, getting the basics of practice down. And that is, that's very telling. Uh, we, we also wanted to get out of him, how well do you know all your players at this point? And a few have stood out to him, but – you know, the, I thought the, the one of the overlying, uh, overarching themes of this, uh, of his appearance here was this is a long process, yep. you know, and, and, you know, I, I'm not saying most fans don't realize that, but I think that's what I want fans to get out of it. And he also said the comment about walking past the defensive meeting room and wanting to go back in. I yeah. think Bill Roth has told me a story about Luke Fickle at Cincinnati having the same itch that. He wants to be in the defensive line room as Pry wants to be in the linebackers room, but it's it's a different job. Now, now in all seriousness, uh, Pry is going to have a big hand in the defense. He yes. said this himself. He said he's, he's spending what an hour a day with those guys okay. or something yeah. like that. So, but he wants to be in there all the time. Of course he does. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something he's got to learn to manage uh, um, because he wants to be there probably more than he is. But how much is enough if he's going to have a big hand in the defense and that transition to it's uh, Chris Marv is going to be the D.C. Yes. At eventually, the, the full-blown the guy D.C. So that was interesting. He'll, he'll have to manage that as he goes along. And he talked a lot about the offense, too. Said he wanted to be multiple with Tyler Bowen and talking about what gave Penn State's defense issues in the past. Yeah. Also talked about the quarterbacks. Uh, and I think it was interesting – he had a good long answer on Jason Brown and talked about Grant Wells as well, but said Jason Brown has a good chance to be the guy leading this football team. Was that surprising to you, the way he answered that question? It was a little surprising to me that he mentioned Brown first. Yes. Yeah. Um, or And maybe that's reading entirely too much into it. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> We're nitpicking. Um, I, I, <laughs> but it's clear that Brown is the guy he's most familiar with because he's seen Brown in person. Like he said, Brown came to Penn State recruiting camps, and one summer was actually the MVP of one of the Penn State recruiting camps, okay. um, even though he never got a Penn State offer. So this is a guy, he's he's probably seen him play for the first time like six years ago. Meanwhile, he probably never heard of the name Grant Wells until two months ago. And it, and right. one of his connections there was Charles Huff. Right, right, right. Huff used to work right. at Penn State, right. correct? Right, yeah, so. so he's more familiar with, with Brown than Wells. Yeah. And I think it, it is easier when you uh, – when you when you so you bring in a couple of guys, you're more likely early on to maybe lean on the guy that you're familiar with because you know more about him. Yeah. Now that, you know that that obviously he's going to learn a lot more about Grant Wells very quickly 
when spring practice starts. So, so it's still an open job and everything like that. But I, I never thought about it in that perspective before because I didn't know that he went back that far with Jason Brown in terms of familiarity. Yeah, and I, I've, I've been guilty of penciling Grant Wells in. He threw for 3,500 yards last year, and I see that, I, and I'm like, that's your guy. I pencil him in. I still do, yeah. to be honest, because – uh, I'm not. I'm not rooting for anybody over over anybody else. I've never really done that as far as players go. But he has more years. But left. he's got multiple years of eligibility yeah. left. So he's the guy, yeah. and he's got more experience starting at, at, at the FBS level. So more experience starting, and multiple years left, so he can improve. Like he's not close to his ceiling yet. Um, so I, I think it would be ideal if he wins the job. Yeah. But if Jason Brown outperforms him in practice, then Jason Brown needs to be the starter because those are those are that's what you have to establish early on in your tenure is the guy who practices the best is going to play. And and it gets back to that thing of you know Jason Brown has always wanted to be here, right? And so this is one of the the value judgments that Coach Pry has to make as he tries to build a culture. Um, these guys, these guys, you know, I haven't seen a lot of Jason Brown. Uh, Grant Wells's numbers are Grant Wells's numbers. Uh, I think when Malcolm went down to South Carolina and he and my other son Ronan went to a football game, I think that was the one Jason Brown played and they beat Florida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I watched that game because my kids were there and I watched it and Tech wasn't actively playing. And I thought he had the physical tools. You know, he's got nope. the arm. Yeah. He just doesn't have the vast amount of experience that Wells has. So if they go through spring practice and they go through fall – and these guys are physically really close to each other. I'm sure that's going to be one of the things in, in Coach Pry's mind is Brown really wants to be – now, I, that's not to disparage Grant Wells. He may be dying to be here too. Well, his dad's a Tech grad, so I think right. he probably grew up a Tech fan. Yeah. So it's very possible that this is a school he always wanted to go to. So also. this is a pretty good situation yeah. from that standpoint. Right, right, I yeah. think so. And that's something that's undervalued, and that's something you can't put – an extra star ranking on in, in your, your two four seven list or whatever yeah, yeah. because I, I do think there, there there's something to be said for if there's a school you really want to play for you that school might get your best effort you know uh, I never thought it made any sense for Virginia Tech to go down to Florida and recruit Caleb Stewart when in Lynchburg Virginia there was La La Davis who rushed for three thousand yards. Yeah. and ended up signing with ODU. And I'm not saying he would have uh, had a great Virginia Tech career or anything, but he, considering what our running back room has looked like recently, he could have helped this this program. Yeah. And st- and he was right in our backyard, and he wanted to come to Virginia Tech. Um, and that I, I would have offered him over Caleb Stewart. <laughs> and, I, and I think we'll um, probably and his staff will err on the side of taking guys that yeah, really Right, 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 right. Now, if, if, it's, if they're even – I take the in-state guy. I'm still going to take the out-of-state guy if I think he's better. Um, but, but yeah, I, I never really that, – that was an odd one. Like, to go all the way down to Florida to recruit a running back who never even rushed for 1,000 yards. Yeah. When you got a guy right in your own backyard yeah. that rushed for 3,000. So, so how did uh, how did Davis's career at ODU end up? I don't recall. Uh, he played some as a true freshman. Then he got hurt and redshirted. And then they didn't play that year due to COVID. Yeah. So, and I, I don't know what he did this past year. So, I have okay. no idea. I know he played for them some. Yeah. I think he might have actually been their starting running back the game they beat us, like technically the starter. That, that I remember he played in that. I don't yeah, remember yeah. what he did. Yeah. yeah, but he was he was in the game. Well, as is usually the case, quarterbacks going to be the focal point of spring practice and the spring game to see where Jason Brown and Grant Wells are. But let's stick with running backs uh, again, Chris. A great question asking about what the rotation is going to look like, and it seems like this can transfer over to the rest of the roster too. That 
Brett Pry's not going to play more players just to play more players. He's going to play the guys who are ready to play. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think Tech fans, the majority of us who, you know, grew up during the Billy Hyde era as running backs coach for what or whatever, you you knew exactly what you were getting. Each week, each and every week, the starting running back would get two possessions. And then the backup running back would get one possession. And then the starting running back would get two. And then the backup would get one. It was the same thing every year and and every week. And it, that only that never really changed until, like, I want to say, like, maybe 2006 when Tech just ran out of bodies. It, it I was going to say Brandon Orr was a guy yeah. who tended to get more work right, than that right, because there was nobody right, else. Right, exactly. So uh, I uh, these days football coaches generally – Running back rotations, are, I think, to me, they seem to be bigger everywhere these days, not just at Virginia Tech. Um, in the back, in the back of the day, it seemed like everybody just played two running backs. And I, you see more teams these days playing three and four running backs. So it's not just a Virginia Tech thing. It wasn't just a Justin Fuente thing or a Zon Burden thing or an Adam Lechtenberg thing. It's, it just seems to be that way across the board. And right. it, it might – some of the factor might be like it's, it's a more – more guys get hurt these days. Um, 1995, Virginia Tech's big hitting safety, William Yarborough, was 165 pounds, right? So, and then, then, and then, and then it was just 12 years later where Cam Chancellor was a 230-pound safety. It's just football changed so much in about a decade. Guys got so much bigger, and they're faster, and they're stronger. And so, yeah, so it might be like you might have no choice but to play more running backs because they're just getting hit by bigger and stronger guys these days. It's as time goes on and this his appearance here recedes further into the past we love to hyper analyze running back rotations <laughs> the tech fan base does you know it's not just us here at tech sideline you know right um I, I will remember that he said if i got one good guy i'm going with one guy if i got two i'm going with two if i got three i'm going with three so that'll stick out to me and, and I, just, I could just see us talking about this as the season goes on yeah, yeah I, I love the answer when he said if we only got one guy you're gonna see a lot of empty sets when he has to go right. on to the well, sideline ultimately i don't care <laughs> just as long as like if we get another raheem blackshear and he's got the hot hand. He's take him out there. of the game in the third quarter against Notre Dame. That's <laughs> all I ask. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, well, let's talk a little bit uh, about his answer about recruiting Virginia. He said that even though he'll be going against Penn State, it's not about what Penn State can't offer them. It's about what Virginia Tech can. And he said that the Hokies haven't been in the conversation for top-level Virginia talent, and he wants to change that and start winning some of those battles as well. I, uh, it, It's... It's hard to talk about recruiting these days because NIL is just muddying the waters, you know. It, and yes, that's always been under the table. <laughs> now it's on top of the table, and and, it, and it's just, it's the the landscape is different, and so it's it's hard to talk about it because I don't want to say anything and have it be completely wrong because you can recruit the hell out of a guy, but if he's promised a two hundred fifty thousand dollar endorsement because he goes to USC. <laughs> It's like, I'm going where the money is. Virginia Tech sent Gunnar Givens like 100 or 200 birthday cars to show him how much they wanted him, right? But, well, but, that's great. But what if somebody else comes up with an NIL package worth a couple hundred grand? What's more important? That couple hundred grand so, or your stupid birthday so, cards? So, so like 100 <laughs> right? birthday cards or $100,000, you know? So recruiting is not choice. like it once was. Yeah. So yeah. it's 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 going to be a lot different now. Relationships still matter. They're yeah. very, very important, but there's a lot more that goes into it these days too. And I uh, wish we'd had some more time with him so we could get into the whole. Yeah. NIL we we stuff. actually didn't even approach NIL, yeah. but um, 
But part of what I'm thinking in my mind, and we'll see if it plays out this way, if NIL doesn't change and and if, if we'd had him for an hour or an hour and a half, I would have eventually asked him a question along the lines of, as you go out, and maybe he won't know this answer till next year or the year after. As you go out recruiting and you're recruiting a kid and then you find out that X school is involved, which is got a crap ton of NIL money, at that point, do you just kind of check out and say, you know, I know we can't compete. And then right. I'm not saying Virginia Tech will never be able to compete with that. Right. Tech's uh, going to have some NIL money. Uh, and tech tech that, is going to be what I would call second-level NIL Right, money. right. And that's that's always going to be a tough right, road to toe to a certain speak because, like, if it's an in-state kid and you know you're not going to have a chance because you know this other school is going to be offering this much from an NIL perspective – so you want to dedicate your resources elsewhere at this point to sign somebody a different yeah. player at that position that maybe isn't going to – maybe more in your wheelhouse. But then you're going to get criticized because you're not recruiting not the in-state kid time. hard enough, you, you know, and things like that. So it's just all the – I wish people paid no attention to recruiting. I think actually people, if they didn't pay attention to recruiting, they would actually – Be a lot happier. Be a lot yeah. happier. Just yeah. whatever players show up on the field, that's who you got. Yeah. That was that was back in the day, you know. You get you get your first hokey huddler in August, and you're like, oh, who are the players on the team this year? Yeah, <laughs> right. You didn't know because you didn't pay attention to recruiting. Well, and and this year that's with with the transfer portal and and you know another thing that and we're getting away from the topic of the coach prior interview, but another thing fans need to get used to is the idea that your roster changes significantly every year because <clears throat> there's going to be a couple things happening. Uh, Let's say Grant Wells does get the starting job this year. If, if if Jason Brown gets it, he'll be your starting quarterback for a year, you know, and, and Grant Wells will most likely still be here the following year. Mm-hmm. If Grant Wells gets the starting job this year and throws for 4,000 yards and gets NIL offers, he could bounce. He could bounce. Or or Taj Bullock would uh, probably transfer at that Grant point. Wells still has two years of eligibility left, and Bullock's like, I'm not sticking around for two more years to be yeah. a backup. Yeah. Right? Um now, I, I, I was thinking about this over the weekend, and, and I've, you hear two different things. Fans say, I want to, we want to recruit better, and we want to do a better job retaining players. Yeah. And so if you understand how recruiting rankings are done, if you sign a class of 20 players and the other team signs a class of 25 players, and the average star ranking for each player is the exact same, the other team's class is going to be ranked higher because they – they sign more players. Yeah. That, that's just how the formulas work. So if Virginia Tech does a better job at retaining players now, that means they might not recruit as well from a ranking standpoint because they're not going to be able to sign as many new players every year. Yeah. All right. Think about it that way. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get out of here, any other key takeaways that you guys got from that interview? There was a lot that was brought up. Anything so, else you guys so noticed? So, David, what were, we, what were you talking about right before we started uh, recording? Um, I basically said, you know, I talk to him all the time in press conference settings. Um, I've gotten him in small group sessions before. Um, so I, I'm kind of used to him talking, but I liked his demeanor. But but I thought it was interesting, kind of what you guys talked about at the very start, how nothing is set in stone. Like everything is – it's an open competition for everything. And, you know, it's still – they're still in winter ball and they're still – you know, like some people might say, okay, well, it's now what February twenty something, and uh, you know, okay, the coaching staff has had what two months to kind of work on stuff and, and figure stuff out. 
and you know they should be some far somewhere down the road in, in the process of getting stuff together right and the answer is no they're still figuring stuff out they yeah. they're still trying to evaluate guys they're still trying to, to set stuff up um you know there there's a long way to go and i think that was kind of what stood out to me is yeah okay he's been here for almost 3 months now or two you know o- over 2 months but there's still a lot of work that has been done um, or is to be done and a lot of like questions to be answered. You know, he's still trying to figure out, you know, if he wants, you know, what guys are going to stay and what guys are going to go and um, how, how best to go about reworking stuff. And I I think his answer about, um, you know, we asked uh, a question about, um, what he's learned, like what the biggest adjustment has been from a, a, a coordinator to a head coach. I think he answered that pretty well, but I'm sure that's another thing. He's still adjusting to being a head coach, and like he mentioned, the the wanting to be in defensive team meetings. You know, I, there are a lot of adjustments to be it's made. It's a very different job. There's there's going to be. I'm sure there's been some things he's, he's experienced so far that he hadn't thought about before, yeah. just because yeah. he'd never been in the head coach's chair. And that'll continue for another year or so, where yeah. something new will pop up that he's never had to deal with before. Um, and, and that's what happens when, when you hire a coordinator instead of an experienced head coach, but that's fine. Like yeah. he'll, um, He's at least been around plenty of experienced head coaches before at the Power 5 level, and, and I don't think that'll be Yeah, and he mentioned point. James Franklin and yeah. Jeff Munkin and, yeah. and some of those guys. But right. I, I think the biggest thing, Will, you asked, is that there's a, he's still trying to, like, I don't want to say get his bearings because he's been here for a, a little bit now, but he's still trying to work out all the kinks and figure everything out about his program. And, you know, he, he'll he probably know have a lot more answers by the time – you know, they're in the middle of spring ball, but there's still a lot of questions to be answered. And now he'll have more time to focus on football because no he's correct in yeah. his assessment that the live music scene in Blacksburg is absolutely <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, so he did slip in there. Did you notice that he, he did mention in his time at Penn State that you know, he was talking about being a head coach and and he did say there were times where he, James Franklin would do things and he would think to himself that he might do it a little differently. Mm-hmm. So don't accuse him of being a Franklin clone <laughs> and, and only knowing what James Franklin, what he saw James Franklin do. Like any other person, you know, and I'm sure you guys do it with me, you watch me do stuff and you're like, oh, I'm not sure I'd do that if I was well. <laughs> <laughs> well, and some other things that were slipped in there, the number 25 jersey tradition will continue. So right. that will be held over from the Fuente era. Uh, also, he mentioned there's going to be more attrition with the roster after spring practice. Yeah. You would assume the running back room probably will have some people leave. And he mentioned when you lose guys, a lot of times you have to replace them in the transfer portal too. Maybe not the case with running backs, but right. <laughs> that was kind of his thing with the transfer portal. The way it's just a shuffle in and out now, yes. you're going to see right. some new moves. He's exactly right. There needs to be windows. Um David, you're a soccer like, fan. Like, like a transfer like, window. Transfer window, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You know, you see three months in the summer yeah, and, and, then, and then one they, month in the winter. One month in the winter. Right. That way you can get guys in and out. Because if you're having and, – and to his point, like, you know, they might lose – Virginia Tech might lose 10 to 15 guys between spring practice and summer ball, right in that April to May to June window. Mm-hmm. And it – and not just Virginia Tech, but schools all across the country need to be able to kind of like soccer, have a transfer window. And of course, in soccer, everybody's buying and selling for a million, like a couple million dollars. <laughs> but the same now. But, but yeah, I mean, with NIL, you know, but they need to be able to 
pick up guys out of the transfer portal that are unhappy. You know, for example, say a Virginia Tech defensive lineman leaves and Virginia Tech needs to pick up another defensive lineman in the summer before the fall. And right now they don't have that opportunity. So still a lot to figure out after spring practice, but a great conversation with Coach Pry. Anybody, anything else that you picked up on in that, that interview? Uh, it was very difficult for me. I thought I'd let you guys occupy the four chairs, and it was very difficult for me to sit over there and keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. I know. I, I was looking over. I was like, I, have to, I should check my phone and see if Will has any questions or I something. I did text <laughs> one to David because things were moving along quickly, and I thought David might need another question. So. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. We might get through five rounds of questions, but then I think it was the recruiting question. He spent a lot of time on that yeah, one, yeah, yeah. and we had to get him out of here. Well, that was a great conversation with Coach Pride. That was phenomenal to get him on set, and hopefully not the last time he'll be on the podcast. And next time longer. And, yep. Yes, next time for a little longer than 30 minutes, but but had some fun with him, too, at the very end there. Got his snowball fight team, Brandon Smith and Trace McSorley. I think that would stack yeah, up. Yeah, Chris guessed Trace McSorley before. before. <laughs> no, I did not. I, was, I think that was David who guessed Trace McSorley. Well, one of you did. Somebody yeah. said Trace McSorley. But I don't I, think it was me. I, I would I would like to see your two teams that we had a few weeks ago stack up against Coach I don't Coach remember Pryde. who was on my team. Uh, I know you I had, you had Michael Vick. Oh, of course I did. That's... I had Tincher. Uh, you had Tyrod Taylor too. I think. I'm trying um, to picture Angela Tincher throwing a snowball <laughs> underhand. Keely <laughs> <laughs> Rochard was not picked, which I think would have been a solid uh, addition that, yeah. to any team as well. Uh, I think that's going to do it here on episode 225 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Again, thank you to Coach Pry for stopping by. want to thank everybody on set. Will Stewart hopping in at the second half to unpack everything that was said in that interview. You can find him at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman to my right. Some great questions for the coach today at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. David Cunningham monitoring the boards, getting some good questions from our subscribers uh, to give to Coach Pry at the Real D Cunna on Twitter. Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes, always does a great job as our podcast producer, and I'm your host, Jake Lyman, signing off. We'll see you next time on the Tech Sideline Podcast. 